Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Click. Recording. Dang, mm. dude. I'm like crying over here. That was, <laughs> that was pretty funny. A serious laugh. <laughs> so any changes for you guys? Need a good laugh. We need that Ooh. these days. Yeah. Uh serious changes, no. Nothing yet. Anything for you, Rob? Same old? Yeah. Yeah, same. Same. Just in Holy Week here. Um feel like we had a pretty decent plan laid out, but nothing major since the last time we talked. No. You? Um, no, nothing major. Just, um, it's been time in prayer. It's been really good. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Cool. All right. Well, see you next week. (laughs) (laughs) Happy Easter. Happy Easter. I got asked, I talked to, uh, um, a Dorgen last night. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Which is so good to talk to him. He listens, doesn't he? I think he does. Actually, he totally he does. Talk too much about it, but um, I think he does. But I was telling him that I'm rereading A Severe Mercy, which I'll probably finish today or tomorrow. And man, this book is is so good. Um, and we just got to talking about three like, fingers, how, uh, Rob. And we just got to talking. Is that better? Much better. Yeah. And we were just talking about um, yeah, just how it's interesting. Like you can read a book and then read it again. Like I probably haven't read this book in seven or eight years or so. And how it can just totally hit you differently. Um, and he asked this question I found very intriguing. He was like, do you think that um, you could apply Heraclitus to books like you could a river? And I was like, hmm, that's a that's like a really interesting... You never step really in the same book twice? Yeah. Or, I mean, I think his, his point is like you become a different person. Mm-hmm. Almost, or like you're just reading it from such a different place. But... But it's true. Like it, it reads almost completely different. The same thing, um, and it reminds me of that story you told Connor a few years ago on the podcast, where you were like fishing somewhere, and you ended up kind of articulating the question of what do I have to believe in order to really see. Mm. Um, and I, I just found it. It was just a fun conversation with uh, old Father Ryan. And anyway, I, I started to kind of throw that. I don't know if that spurred on anything. Um, in you guys, but I'd be very intrigued on your thoughts to, to that question. Can you, can you step in the same book twice? Hmm. What were you getting out of the, you said severe mercy was the one you're talking about. Yeah, man, it's good. It's I still really haven't good. read that. I have it. Oh, I think. Run, don't walk, man. Really? You should, I, honestly, Connor, you should read it. I like seriously start today and read hmm. it. I would, I would be that strongly worded on it. I might write you a strongly worded letter, even. <laughs> Is that a good Holy Week email. book? <clears throat> it's a great Holy Week book. Um, Dang. Yeah, it's an, I would say it's a, a really great Holy Week book of, um, yeah, just joy and suffering and longing and, um, like, God's pursuit of us through, like, through it all um, in just a highly articulate, articulate and, and really, like, just beautiful story of a couple people. Um, but there's so much, man. I'm just going, going through it and it's, it's getting me. Um, 
Yeah, there was one line. I have it here. I don't want to. I don't want to mess it. Mess it up. Um, but they were talking about this was more towards. I think this is even before they were Christian in the book. But they were talking about if we don't stay close to the wind and the stars, we shall be lost in a cloud of ambiguities. And I was like, man, that hits me right now, mm-hmm. um, big time. But no, it's just this like kind of incredible story of being able to like talk honestly and process suffering. So it's really good. Do you remember it, Mike? Is that? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And one of the things that always intrigued me about it is, um, cause I think it, it's obviously also a story about love and loves in general and, and in loveness, loveness in loveness, in, in yeah. loveness. Yeah, for sure. All of the loves and <laughs> like, yeah, I guess just how his own love is transformed and 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 uh, and elevated throughout the the story, and um, how right. God is constantly using th- his authentic loves to kind of take him higher. Um, yeah, that was. Yeah, but it's a it's a tough book, man. I, my little sister Mary Margaret's reading it right mm-hmm. now, and I read it on a five-day retreat after I came back from um, from Second Theology. That was after my hospital summer. Holy Moses. Oh, man. I needed to read that, yeah. It was very, very good. It's just... Yeah, I guess maybe I do need to read it again. It's been a little while. A Severe Mercy. I do find myself um, using that title to describe things in life especially when people kind of open up with me um, mm. and not necessarily spiritual direction, but they're just talking about a suffering or a difficulty in their life. And it's one of those where they can kind of see what God's doing, but it hurts a lot. And you're like, dang, man, I'm so sorry. But like, this is, it's a severe mercy. This is God's, this is God's love. And, and I see that you can see that, um, but it, man, it's severe and it's, yeah. it hurts. Yeah. yeah. And subjectively, I think too, it's interesting, kind of going back to the initial question, the Heraclitus question of Adorjan. But it was like, man, well, yeah, when I first read it, I think maybe I read it when I was a focused missionary. I think, I think it was in my end of, end of my first year. And it, it hit me hard. I mean, because it is such a beautiful book and story. And, and just kind of like, it was an introduction to the language for me that like beauty can hurt or like that our longings um, sometimes like they actually hurt worse than like anything else, you know, kind of that ache that we have in it. There's, this, there's a beautiful encounter towards the beginning of the book when they meet and they're talking about poetry that they love. And one of them says, like, isn't it weird that beauty hurts? And the other one responds, like, wait, you too. I thought I was the only one. And um, but anyway, it's interesting this time reading it from, yeah, just a totally different um, state of of life. And I felt like last time it kind of pulled a lot of things like out of myself, being able to articulate of like I want my life to, um, yeah, like be centered around this, like just authentic and and deep love. And I don't want to, I don't want it to be cheap, and I don't want it to be like fake or cliche or anything like that. Um, but 
which, you know, kind of makes sense. That's like right when I was kind of starting to go through a big discernment of like, maybe I, if I should go to seminary or not, and if that's what the Lord's calling me to. And this time it's reading it from just a totally different place, obviously a, a state of a, a permanent vocation, which like, I'm very thankful to say has been amidst a lot of craziness has been like very, very happy and peaceful and, um, joyful, but you know, but like learning, you know, how that looks in the mundane and kind of the, just the Monday through Friday-ness as well after a couple years of it and, um, and everything. And so I think I've been way more like intrigued at like how they talk about and, and really like, yeah, find, find God's love in a severe way in, in suffering. And so it's still, again, I don't want to share too much there. So sorry if that's a little bit cliche, but the point kind of stands is like, yeah, it's not, it's the same book, but it's received in a totally different way. It's just very, very interesting. I think we can all relate. It doesn't have to be that book necessarily, um, but I can relate to it in other ways. Yeah, for sure. I'm, uh, I read for a book club, which we met over Zoom a couple nights ago. We read some short stories by J.F. Powers. Do you know that name? No. Mm-mm. He read, he wrote a lot of, uh, stories about priests and I just ordered his novel, which won the book award in the sixties national book award. It's called Mort de Urban. Father Urban is the main character. It's French for the death of urban. Um, but they're very interesting kind of insights into the priestly culture of like the forties and fifties. Uh, and some of them are, two of them were about parish priests. Uh, one was like a middle-aged, uh, guy who still had never become a pastor and felt kind of passed over and his struggle with kind of some of his peccadilloes and especially gluttony and, uh, pride and, it's just amazing the way that it uh, really like from a guy that wasn't a priest, <clears throat> the the ability to see into the interior life of a priest, um, the good, the bad and the ugly and some of the pettiness among priests or between priests. And one of them was about a newly ordained guy and his old pastor, which is very good. But the one that struck me most was um, this old Franciscan friar who lives in a monastery and is probably in his late eighties and he has another elderly, but less, uh, elderly, uh, Franciscan Franciscan brother. Who's kind of his caretaker. Uh, and the one was a priest, the older guy's a priest and it kind of just goes through his last weeks and, uh, before he dies. And he reflects on how he wonders, he's just like wondering about the mercy of God and wondering whether his life has been really, holy, whether he's really lived up to his vocation and, um, you know, coming to the end of his life is like, is it possible to be a saint? What should he really pray for? And he thinks, you know, poverty hasn't really been that hard. Uh, he's not really wanted for anything, uh, even though he's technically in the bow of poverty. Chastity used to be hard, but it isn't for him anymore. It's kind of a young man's battle. And now it's that fight is over uh, and obedience, even that was you know hard at first but it becomes you're kind of conditioned to just do what you're told and you figure out ways to do your own will even though you have to technically do the will of the superior so he taught geometry and 
he he wanted to do that and his superiors had no problem with it and um anyway he's come to the end of his life and one of the things that haunts him is that he didn't go visit his brother his brother had been abroad most of his life his brother was a priest as well and he'd written him a letter when he moved back to st louis that he'd love to see him and the guy said he couldn't do it but he didn't even ask permission from his superior he just kind of like thought oh no I, you know this is a worldly affection and i'll see him in the next life or something like that and he gets a telegram that his brother died and he feels so guilty because he realizes that he made he thought he was doing like an act of penance by not going to see his brother um whom he loved but it was ultimately like egocentric like he he said he he used his brother as a hair shirt um rather than like I don't know. It, 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 what I like about it is the, the subtlety of it. You know, he he is, he's just so aware of like, where am I doing God's will and where am I doing my will? And even though, even when I'm trying to do God's will, am I doing it my way? Hmm. And it, get, it gets to this, like the heart of this question of like, what voice are you following or what light are you walking by? And he finally gets to the point where he can't walk and he's starting to lose his vision and starting to hallucinate and stuff. And this, this Franciscan brother who kind of annoys him, but is his only faithful friend gets him a canary to live in his room with him. And this canary kind of becomes a symbol of him, like in this cage, uh, or his soul or something. And, um, yeah, at the very end, he, uh, he's like actively dying on his deathbed and, um, I'm just going to read this. This is real short, but I, I preached on this on Sunday along with your Francis Savior, Wintuan. Same. Man, that was preached so good. On that. That was it's, so it, good. It is so good. I actually preached on a hidden life, or I would have used mm-hmm. uh, Cardinal Town. Yeah, just this whole, whole idea of detachment and mm-hmm. the Paschal Mystery. So he says, uh, he has this moment where he can see the snowflakes again outside of his outside of his window, even though he's been kind of going more and more blind. And um, then it says, with that same wonderful clarity, he saw what he had made of his life. He saw himself tied down, caged, stunted in his apostolate, seeking the crumbs, the little pleasures, neglecting the source, always knowing death changes nothing, only immortalizes, and still ever lukewarm. In trivial, trivial attachment, in love of things, was death, no matter the appearance of life. In the highest attachment only, no matter the appearance of death, was life. He had always known this truth, but now he was feeling it. Um, I guess what I, I've never read Severe Mercy, but when I think of those words together and what you guys are talking about with the story and the, the pain of beauty, and I was, when you were talking about the pain of beauty, I thought of somebody, I won't say who, but just like this really intense guy I, I met once and uh, he was very, very honest and transparent. He was talking about when he sees a beautiful woman on the street, sometimes it hits him so hard he has to like sit down on a bench and just like <laughs> and he's like sometimes dude it'll ruin my week like oh my gosh she's so beautiful <laughs> um what that is all about that suffering uh when you're attached to the source what is, how does he say it in trivial attachment and love of things was death no matter the appearance of life hmm. but in the highest attachment no matter the appearance of death was life I think that's that's like the whole paradox of life is that you have to die to live. You have to lose yourself to save yourself. Um, and we say it over and over again in different ways. But 
I think particularly in this time when like the, the reason that the Cardinal, the Vietnamese Cardinal thing is so strong is because I mean, it's, we're not being ushered into isolation by communist uh, prison camps, but in a different way, tyrannized by the, by the forces of sin and death in the world. And yet it's always possible to do God's will. Um, that to me that like is the whole passion thing and how, how intense it is like with Judas and Peter and Pilate and some of the like personal face-to-face things that happen in those passion narratives. And you see like yourself in it and yeah. the, the decision that's forced in that moment. Like, will I, will I die or, or will this trivial, trivial attachment to what appears to be life cause me to actually lose my life? Hmm. You know? Anywho. So how do you answer the question, what do I have to believe in order to really see? How would you answer that today? Hmm. Um, I don't know. You have to believe that. Um, yeah. Yeah, you have to believe that. That's the tough thing is like, that's the Heraclitus question. You, you you step into the same, you never step into the same person twice. There was another thing that really convicted me. I read this week about, uh, from Corbone. I was teaching that class to the seminarian still. And, uh, he talks about the liturgy of the heart. And, you know, the whole first part of the book is about the fontal liturgy. Like what, what's going on in the incarnation, the Paschal mystery is that the wellspring of worship, the wellspring of God's infinite love is finally bubbling forth in humanity and we are participating in the ascension. So God has emptied himself out in Christ and we who call down the Holy spirit, um, in the epiclesis and then are drawn into communion with Christ are then ascend back up to him. And this eternal exitus and reditus, the emptying and filling, um, we get to participate in it. But the way that that happens, well, it happens in the celebrated liturgy, um, where we as the whole body of Christ get together um, and do like the mass and stuff, but where, where it's happening is in the heart of every human being. And the heart is not like you can live in your heart or you can not live in your heart. Um, You can live in your brain or your, your psyche, or you can just live out in the world and in worries and concerns and money and pleasure and stuff like that. And he says, those places are all like these static empty vessels that you can fill um, but are never unlike the heart the heart is not like a a vessel to be filled it's this this like dynamic principle of your of your desire it's you basically and because you're made in the image of God and God is love the heart is like this fire that you don't like put out the fire by getting things, you know, like, you know, you go out, you, you want, a th- you want something and you go get water to put out the, des- the fire of your desire so that you can like calm down and be at rest. Cause that never actually works. Instead you, you go get fuel, you know, like you stoke the fire, uh, to want more. And that's what actually draws you into the, that, that piece. Like I, I think of C.S. Lewis and, his whole the the pain of beauty thing. Have you ever read Surprised by Joy? No, actually. 
That's a, I'll read severe mercy. You read surprised by joy. Um, All right. Deal. I, well, side note, I just, I literally bought, I'll finish this one hopefully today. And then I bought the, uh, the biography of Chris Farley and I'm going to knock oh, that nice. out. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> the one his brother exciting. compiled? Yeah. Yeah. It's already really good. Oh man. Really that's sad. It's very sad. Have you read it? Yeah. I read it in seminary. <clears throat> I wrote a oh, song about gosh. it, but I forgot the song. It was Blaha's favorite song of mine. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I can't remember it. Okay, our, after the Chris Farley one, I'll read Surprised by Joy. <laughs> but he talks about the same thing. He has a great, one of his memories, his first memory of ever experiencing what he called joy <clears throat> was when he was a little kid and his brother, I think it was his brother made a, um, he called it like a little miniature garden out of like a, like the top of a tin of shoe polish or something like that. He put like moss and grass and sticks in this little thing and it looked like a, little tiny backyard and um it caused this like feeling of nostalgia to well well up in him like just that good that good feeling that he'd never felt before Hmm. but it also caused him this pain and he was just like a seven or eight year old kid and he had no idea what was going on but he it just like was such an intense memory Uh, something so like some simple joy sometimes i get that with smells like i'll smell something and it causes this like deeply happy but painful feeling i have no way of putting my finger on does that ever happen to you guys same actually yeah it does uh freshly mown grass yeah it it did just recently that happened to me yep because it was like the first cut cut lawn of the of the year and there has got to be some some memory or some series of memories attached to these things where yeah you, you felt that exact feeling but the whole point of the book at the end is like he was searching for this feeling, searching to get it back all the time. And it only ever came to him randomly when he wasn't expecting it. That's why he was surprised by joy. And his conclusion is that after becoming a Christian, he realizes that you to get joy, you cannot pursue joy. You have to pursue some other good, um, the highest good. And then that joy is a byproduct of that. But you even to get joy, you even have to let go of your desire for joy. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? So that's the that's the J.F. Powers idea too. That what that uh, friar's coming to at the end of his life is, even though it looks like death, the highest attachment is life. And the more you attach yourself to little things, even though it looks it looks like life is in there, looks like joy is there because you've kind of tasted it before, or felt it, or you have a feeling that that's what I'm looking for. The more you attach yourself to that and don't let it go, you die. Um, so I can't remember. I think I felt like I had one more thought I wanted to tie up there, but I've been talking for a while and I can't remember. (laughs) What do you think, Mike? (laughs) (laughs) What am I supposed to say after that? Yeah, sorry, dude. (laughs) I've been sitting here just reading and (laughs) (laughs) that was, that was the wellspring right there (laughs) of like weeks in solitude just consuming information and putting thoughts together yeah now i feel yeah no it's wonderful man well your question dude awesome question i'm so glad that you asked that even though connor you never really answered it the heraclitus question or what do you have to no not to the heraclitus see? question he said what do you yeah what do you, what you need to, to believe to see you, de- you didn't answer it, but that's okay that's all right yeah well you did i guess at the beginning you said we well, got to believe that and then you never came back to it mm-hmm and so I guess I pose it again because it's a good question. And I want to answer it too. Go ahead. Well, I don't know yet. I haven't thought about it. <laughs> you haven't I was listening. 
I it. no, no. <laughs> but if you'll just text me, then I'll read it. Okay. <laughs> No, hey, but you I, just, can you just answer it then flip me on it and just, just flip, me, flip me on that. <laughs> I'm gonna retweet it. Flip me on the mystery of human existence, please. Flip me. What does that mean? Flip me. I mean, send me an email. Yeah, in, we uh, talked about that in in early 2000s ago, yeah. business lingo. Oh my gosh, are you serious? Yep. I was just a wee lad at that at that time. Yeah, you were. Still in diapers. That's not true. All right. So, will you answer the question? And then, and then I'm going to give it a go. I've been actively listening, not waiting to speak, so I haven't thought about it. Mm-hmm. And so then I'll do my own babble stream after you finish. Well, honestly, I, I mean, you have to believe in Jesus. Um, yeah, but throw out some thought. Like, let's just do this, like, rapid fire. So you have to believe in Jesus. In order in, to see? In order to see. You have to believe. I think you have to believe that the world's created good. Yeah, like fallen certainly, but I think that that has to be in there. Is that the world's good? That the world is good. Yeah. Yeah. What, what else were you else? saying, Connor? I don't know. You guys stumped me. You have to believe the world is good. That's true. That's not, that's the fishing trip um, realization. Somewhat is like looking up and yeah. I I think I mean when I first said that we were talking about. Uh, for non long time listeners, it was it, I was reading uh, philosophy and theology by Caputo. That's and he, right. That's and he right. talks about um, basically like the the history of the the relationship between the two, faith and reason. And um, he kind of comes to the end. I, I think it's Heidegger, uh, kind of postmodern, after the disillusionment with rationalism, which said basically like you, there's this ironclad. <laughs> reasonable system like Kant that you can, everybody can just agree on pure reason. And that led to the slaughter of millions of people, uh, in totalitarian second, uh, 20th century, because it's not true. Everybody comes from, comes to the truth through this subjective lens. So you can have a form of postmodernism that just says like, there's no truth and everybody's truth is just the same, is just as valid. And that's sort of the pluralism thing that we've, quasi agreed on uh in the west is like just don't argue about things that you can't adjudicate through science or empirical stuff um and so the the important questions are things about like economics and and medicine and the unimportant questions that it's just kind of up to everybody to figure out their own answer to are things like religion philosophy etc or you can see it like um that those questions are are still the most important questions, the questions of the meaning of life and the destiny of human existence and all of that. But nevertheless, you you everybody does come to them, although the truth about them is objective. Like who God is is some objective truth that I you know I don't get to decide what that truth is just because of how I feel. But nevertheless, I do come to that question with a perspective, a, a point of view. And Heidegger's whole thing is like you're thrown into existence you didn't ask to exist in this time in this place or at all and here you are just this point of view on the world and um you know the language you speak the upbringing that you have um the religion you're formed in informs your your belief about the world and that informs how you see the world you know so if you are an atheist you see unanswered pain and suffering and it affirms your worldview that oh there's no god here 
Um, whereas as a Christian, uh, if you believe the world is good and that God is good and that he exists, uh, even in spite of, of the suffering, you still see the good behind it all. You see the glory shining through, hmm. which is a direct quote of Thin Red Line. Um, so well, my, my reflection in the fishing trip was there I was in the same river to go back to Heraclitus 10 years after and, and 10 years prior, I was in my early 20s a selfish college kid who kind of had an inkling of like, maybe there's more to life and maybe I should be a priest or something. Um, but I really was, you know, you're still a kid. Uh, your prefrontal cortex isn't even fully developed. And I, I didn't know yet. I hadn't like experienced a lot of the truth of, of this stuff. Um, I had never visited a nursing home or a prison or a dying person in a hospital. I hadn't, you know, spent six years studying theology and going to mass every day and praying holy hours and stuff and like the things that would shape my point of view on the world. And there, then I was sitting in the same river looking up at this bald eagle and this osprey in her nest and this flowing river and the sun on my back and the cold river on my legs. And it's like, the world is just so damn good, you know, and God is so good and I'm so grateful. And here I am, this tiny little being. And yet all of this is just a reflection of God's love for me. Um, and that's what I, that's what I realized in that moment was like, you could see the same exact thing, the same exact wonderful world and just be like, yeah, but when am I going to get to crack a cold one with my bros, you know, <laughs> and just like not, not just totally miss it <laughs> yeah, because yeah. you're, you're attached to <clears throat> sillier things, you know, you, you're not able to lose yourself as much in the beauty. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, dude. Yeah, that's okay. very beautiful, man. It is. So you got to believe in Jesus. You got to believe that the world is good. Yeah. got to believe that the world is good. Damn good, even. <laughs> and you know what? And you know what? I did think of this while you were talking a little bit, Connor. Um, you have to believe that... Um, that this world is limited, that it's finite. Uh, wait, which maybe maybe a more found like a more how about contingent? Uh, contingent. That's what yes. you're looking for. Contingent, I think, is good. Keep going. But also, you have to believe in sin. Yeah. Same like that's that. well that it's real. Um. And that we're, ca- not that we're capable of it, but that, that's just, that's a part of the the human experience. Yeah. I, I guess I don't really have much else to say besides that to it. But, but in order to see correctly, like you have to be able to, to believe in, you have to believe in sin as well. Which is kind of a catch 22 because what sin does darkens the intellect, it weakens the will. In order to really see, you have to see that you can't see. You know what I mean? So, and that actually is another piece of the whole, the whole Heideggerian, like baptized Heidegger way of thinking is like, because you're just a point of view on the world and you can't see everything, the only way to really see everything is to have it revealed to you. Well, and that's why, but I think that's all encapsulated in the contingency piece, myself included. I am also contingent, contingent, meaning I'm also limited, which means there's also things that I can't see. Mm-hmm. So there's 
so in there, there's a type of ingrained intellectual, spiritual, cognitive humility that's authentic. Right. That is necessary as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think, Rob? Well, here, how about this question? Instead of answering how everybody else should believe to be able to see, where have you guys uh, felt like you, have you had those epiphanies? I know you have, but like where did you feel like, okay, now I'm seeing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because um, <clears throat> to me, if, like for instance, Doris. Oh, yes. Why is there something rather than nothing sorry you were talking about doris doris yeah. doris i'm so sorry no that's all right no that was the, that was another one where it wasn't like the beautiful bald eagle sunshine uh mountaintop experience it was that was another one where, but I, I felt like i truly saw and part of the seeing was seeing myself but not in looking at myself in a mirror but in seeing seeing myself in the face of another one who I loved and who loved me, you know? Yeah. I wrote, tell me if this, I don't know if this will make sense. I haven't really like shared it um, maybe this openly before, but um, I think my, I was a deacon and we were almost done at Mundelein, like probably within the last two weeks or so. And I took a couple holy hours and I wrote out and I came up with the, uh, my five favorite places in the world. And I think they, they like speak to this because they're, and I, I have like the reasons I actually just went back to this the other day. It was really, really cool to go to. Um, but so yeah, those experiences, like one of them is my mom and dad's, um, back deck. And I think I maybe talked about this on the podcast at some point of like, that's the place that I felt like I kind of learned who I was like my family history and like the people that you know shaped me um the most and everything and it's this place that's been so constant in my life through all these different things so there's been so much change except like there's this place that's still somehow like both the same and different um and so when i go there and i can even go there in like an imaginative prayer as well yeah i just know um who who i am there because i know like my roots and what i'm grounded in um like another one of my favorite places is port-au-prince haiti and i wrote because that's the first time i saw real christians there in the missionaries of charity um and they just totally they really did like we've talked about that haiti trip of like they revolutionized what i thought was possible um as far as a transformation in jesus in in this life um another one is lazoo france because yeah, I mean, um, again, like Trez has not only been a friend, but I mean, Trez really just did like win my heart kind of in her intercession and her story and her writing and just like being her friend. Um, and so just so much of that in my discernment of like priesthood was not a deprivation, but rather like what my heart was was made for, um, like really came through through her. So like that's the that's the hometown of the girl that stole my heart. Um, and another one is like Jerusalem at the Holy Sepulcher. And I remember a prayer experience in there of like, I remember coming out after we had mass in the sepulcher and it was like, it felt like a heartbeat. I remember, I didn't know how else to, to write it or process the feelings. 
And I just kept going back to that as like it felt like a heartbeat, which is similar to actually what I've experienced at Lords. Like, Mike, you helped me put some words on that with your homily in Port-au-Prince, actually, and like the heartbeat of of the world and Mary and the church. And so anyway, um, that's kind of like just the the broad stroke of of that, which is totally subjective to me. Um, but I think all of those places and body experiences where I've come to know who I am because of, yeah, like what shaped me and who Jesus is. And so it's, but all those places are ones that I still have access to in my memories and imagination and can actually be like rooted and planted in them, which kind of back to the question now is like when I'm rooted, um, in what those, I was going to say realities represent, but that's not it. Um, when I'm living from those places, which has been an experience of like revealed love to, to me at my depths, then that's when I can see the world correctly of it's at one in the same time, like just totally, um, passing and, um, contingent and like just drips with life and good and um yeah just the like the outpouring and diffusive love of god um as as well and it hurts like it hurts when you see it like that that's the only way i can describe it so um it doesn't necessarily answer the question except for just how maybe ways i've been able to uh try to form my life around it does that make any sense at all mm mm-hmm. How would you answer it, Mike? Or when's it happened to you? Oh no, we lost Mike. Dang, man. Oh, bummer. What man, he was serious about that hard out. <laughs> peace. <laughs> Didn't even say peace. We'll see peace. if he comes back. Should we haven't we been having to hang up and or no? Does he just No he hasn't no, coming back, I guess. Yeah, he can come back. Yeah. Mm. Man, all truth is just subjective. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's it. That, I think that's what I just said. I think that's <laughs> what I just said. No, but that's how you you subjectify you objectify the subjective. You exactly. Know? We're, we're talking about this stuff. That is mm-hmm. our mission. That is our mission. So that's how I tried to answer it. It's like, yeah, I don't know how to answer that question. Bottom line, but I know when I've experienced it. Yeah, and that's that's what I like about the Lewis book, uh, Surprised by Joy, right. is that like something so. Uh, forgettable as a little like art project that his brother did right. became the kid. It, so it, it, the truth is so massive and um, universal. And yet the way that it penetrates your life is so particular and tailor made to your own experience and story yeah, uh, and your personality. So, that's uh, I always go back to that William James quote about etern- uh, immortality of the soul, where he's like, "I hope the soul is immortal because now that I'm coming close to my death, I'm only now learning how to really live." Yeah. Um, or that Lacordaire letter to a young man about how, you know, when you're young and you can climb mountains, like the the beauty of the ocean and the mountains and the trees enthralls you, but in the end, you can only enjoy souls. Hmm. Um. Yeah. But you can always love. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the way it's the way it's encountered is so particular. 
uh, but it's. I tell you, what, I've also, and and I think with that of like recognizing it, it, it makes. Hold oh, on, Mike's man. calling me. One sec. Okay. I'm gonna put him on speaker. Yeah. What's up, Mike? Yo, did, what happened? I don't know, but I got you uh, talking to Rob here. You want to just wrap it up? We got two minutes. Can oh, Rob? Can you nice, hear him? Dude. Or can you can you come back on the computer? Or can you, you hear not have? Oh, yeah, I got you. Here's the thing, Rob can't hear you because I got my headphones on. No, I got him. Oh, I, oh, I mean, you, you can't hear Rob. Oh, I can't yeah. hear Rob. Right. What, what is Rob saying? Can you hear me, though? Yeah, he can hear you. He can hear me. Hey, Rob. So I heard <laughs> up until almost what I would assume was like the very end of you, of you sharing that, you were saying that when you live from those places of your heart where you have, where love has been revealed to you and you've been able to receive it, that you're most fully yourself. Um, yeah, very beautiful. Is that right? Is that was there or was there more after that? Tell him not much after that. He says not much after that. <laughs> so you, you have this is it. This is your last chance, Mike. What what are your last thoughts? Only uh, and keep in mind saying, that only Rob can hear you but can't talk to you. Yes. Well, he, yes, directly. <laughs> you're you're the mediator. I'm the mediator between Mike and Rob. This is insane. Pontifex. <laughs> across time and space um yeah i mean one moment and i and i talked about it on the podcast for sure as well when i just like really saw clearly um saw the passion clearly and and uh jesus's power was at my buddy's funeral and uh, just being confronted with like the reality of death also opened my eyes and kind of broke me uh, in a new way to see just the power of um, of Christ's resurrection as well, the power of his love. And so that's kind of the thing where it's like when I was, so, I was confronted by such a great wickedness and evil, um, and even there Christ's light was present and um, became even more real um, because of his presence in, in this dark moment with a difficult family. And, and so then actually experiencing my buddy's death and the suffering of all of that helped me to see the power of Christ's resurrection, um, which is so, like, what an important moment, what an important thing there. Um, yeah, and, and that that's kind of changed me for, that's that changed me forever, for sure. I wept like a small child, uh, and I didn't know what was going on, but from that changed how I saw um, so maybe that would be an addition to, or maybe a, a clarification on what do you need to believe in order to see. And, um, we said Jesus, um, but like the resurrected ascended Jesus, hmm. like we have to believe in Christ, the King of the universe. Um, yeah, we kind of dove into it today, man. Yeah. That was another hmm. rocket ship episode. Connor, you just, Blast off! <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when we don't talk to one another. Yeah. What's nice to anybody? For weeks. <laughs> this explosion of intensity. Okay, well, hey, I'm gonna go pray right now. Tell, well, Rob, great talking with you. Keep praying for me. Tell Mike he's uh, in my prayers and have a great retreat. He Love says tell him that you're in his prayers while you're on awesome. retreat. Awesome. All right, guys. Good talk. Good. Sounds good. All right. Talk to you soon. Peace. Peace.
Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.